I've always said that it's a challenging time for everybody right now. Yeah. And really what we need to do is care. And care stands for collaborate, being adaptable, show resilience, and empathy towards each other. Hey, Sam. Favor. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Hey, it's Friday. Weekend's coming. <laughs> exactly. When Friday comes, the weekend is always exciting, right? Well, but the thing, favor is the way my schedule works, it could be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. It's a day of the week. And uh, <laughs> I celebrate it all. That's great. I like that. You have to keep that positive energy, you know? Oh, man, yeah. No, it's, um, it's interesting because it's like that's where... A lot of times that's what I'm doing is sharing. And part of, again, what we could even talk about is uh, I've always said that it's a challenging time for everybody right now. Yeah. And really what we need to do is care. And care stands for collaborate, being adaptable, show resilience, and empathy towards each other. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. First and foremost... So I was just going to say a favor. No, I'm not inter I mean, you're interviewing me, but I still want to know. So where are you located? Oh, I'm located in Georgia. Wow. Okay. And I'm all the way up in Vancouver, Canada. Wow. It's such a pleasure to have you here for sure. Yeah. Now tell me, like, um, you know, you'll learn a lot about me, but I want to learn about favor. Tell me about favor. Okay. What do you want to know? <laughs> um, so are you originally from Georgia? Oh, no, I'm not originally from Georgia. I'm originally from Nigeria. And I grew up in Kenya and I've also lived in Orlando, to be precise. I've also lived in Houston and I've also lived in Atlanta, Georgia. So I've lived in the big cities all my life, but I've been able right. to really adapt fast and connect with people within the communities at all times. That's very cool. Yeah, no, and uh, my only experience for Africa, I mean, I've been to Egypt, which is Africa, but I consider it to be more Middle East than Africa. Okay. But I've also been to Zimbabwe and uh, South Africa, so I had wonderful experiences when I'm there. Yeah, the whole country, the whole continent, the whole space, it's uh, it's a place that you don't want to learn from TV, you want to learn from experience. No. Well, and yesterday we did a travel adventure show. And one thing I talked about is the more you travel, the more open your experiences are. And when I traveled to the Middle East, the first time I ever went, there were so many people who said, Sam, it's such a dangerous place. Why are you going to the Middle East? And the first stop was actually Kuwait. And they had shortly ended the war against Iraq at that point. And people were like, Sam, it's crazy. Like you're going to one of the most dangerous places in the world. Mm. And when I, when I came back, uh, people said, so, I mean, how dangerous was it? I'm like, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe how dangerous it was. And they're like, really, what was it like? I said, yeah, no, just trying to cross the road was so dangerous. And they're like, what do you mean? What about terrorism? What about bomb? I said, oh, yeah, no, Kuwait is one of the safest countries I've ever been to, but trying to cross the road is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And favor, you know what's the most dangerous part in the Middle East? No, I don't know. When you get it, when you get invited to a home, you know, uh, in, let's say Bahrain, where I went, yeah, and you sit across from the mother who's going to feed you because she will not stop until you are full, and even when you're full, she'll keep serving you. That's the dangerous part. Oh wow! Is the hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> it's wow! Favorite. It's no different than Nigerian hospitality. Oh yeah, definitely. Nigerian hospitality is 
off the roof. <laughs> like you <laughs> meet. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. we love community. We love keeping people in check. We make sure that you guys are okay. We have yeah. this hospitality that is just a natural instinct. Like we care when we see you from the door. It's not like we have to know yeah. you to to help you. We can help you right as long as we're on the same frequency and we're connecting. Yeah. Now, a favor, and you come to an Indian's house, they'll look at you going like, man, you're so skinny. We're going to have to feed you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Anyways, uh, that's, I, I love to learn about you. But anyways, uh, that, tell me what you need to know. That's amazing. You, know, and you want to do this. Yeah, definitely. I know right now people are wondering, wow, this is so much happening in just a, a little bit over five minutes and there's so much content that people can be able to perceive <laughs> yeah. but we're going to be focusing on personal branding career development you know leadership and you know how can you communicate and tell your story which is one thing i really want to learn from you today and also from Perfect. my audience as well but i would like people to first know who you are and what you do before we get into the meat of the discussion sounds good favor Awesome. So tell me more about you and who you are and what do you do in Vancouver? Sure. Actually, so I, I live all the way up in Vancouver, Canada, and it's a beautiful place. The best way for me to describe myself is there are five things that really make up my foundation. Servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and a community do-better. This really becomes my personal DNA and any projects or things that I do have to hit those five critical elements. Okay. As a result of it, I'm a storyteller, author, speaker, entrepreneur, educator, problem solver, and community activator working to solve community problems. The journey has taken me from a point where I graduated from university not knowing who I was, but seeking what I wanted to do and stumbled through a number of different steps, which so many people do. And at a realization point, it just something clicked in a euphoric. When I shifted the conversation from what I want to do to who am I, clarity happened. And as a result of it, it's been an amazing journey where I've gotten to work on the Olympic bid to get the uh, Olympic Games to Vancouver. I've gotten to build an engagement program in university where we went from an environment of disengagement to one where students are now really engaged and building on their personal brand. Mm -hmm. I've mentored and coached and had about 5,000 conversations with people between the ages of 15 and 30 to help them in life and career. Uh, wrote two books, did a couple of TED, TEDx speeches, and the way I describe it is my life is an autobiography, and for me personally, not for the public, but for me, I'm building an autobiography. I want to make it worth reading. Mm. I've had these tremendous experiences. Wow. I love that. Not, not many people think that way about their lives in an autobiography perspective because, like, people say life happens to some people people just exist without actually living through it so with all the noise especially that we're in a digital age now you know how can someone activate their voice or be louder than the noise that's around them that which is always going to be a consistent factor to deal with 
Totally. And that's actually one of the themes of my, my second TEDx speech was activating the voice within to be louder than the noise around. And I think it really stems from this whole perspective of shifting this concept and idea of what you're going to do to instead, who are you? And for example, the class that I teach, which is organizational behavior, I'm not your traditional academic. I don't live in the world of theories and research. I appreciate those who have created it, but what I do is I want to test it to see how does this apply in the real world. I make every single student in my class write a personal statement twice in the beginning of the semester and at the end to tell me who they are. And favorably struggle with this because they've never really been told, well, tell me about who you are. And I'm not talking about a resume list of what you've accomplished. I want to know who you are. And from that, we then build, okay, so now we have this who you are and we start the, that nugget. What are the things that are important to you that you are not willing to compromise? And how do we build that personal story of yours so that it's more of an engaging conversation as opposed to, hi, favor, my name is Sam and, you know, uh, I've worked at uh, Simon Fraser University. I did this, I did this, I did this. Uh, I think people want to know really the person and from that we can start to pull and build what really is that personal brand and one way that I can describe this is and I, and I share this with people is think of a corner store and think of an organization like Starbucks for example and let's say it's a beautiful day favor you want to go buy a pair of flip-flops and you have the corner store and you've got Starbucks now the corner store, if you ever walk past it, they sell food, lottery tickets, coffee, fried chicken, hardware, um, ATM. Now, would we walk into Starbucks to buy a pair of flip-flops? And the answer is no, because we know that they sell tea, coffee, and food-related items. That grocery store might sell it, but we're not sure. Now, people might argue, well, but isn't it better to be the corner store where you have all of these different things that you can offer? But here's the thing. Now the people around you are confused because you're selling items, but really what is it the essence of what you're selling? How do you, how do you promote it to make that brand of who you are? So opportunities will come to me and oftentimes I'm not seeking the opportunities, but they come to me because I chose to be like that Starbucks brand. And you can replace that with any solid brand, Nike or Coca-Cola or anything. But once you start clarifying that personal brand and, and identity of who you are, the opportunities will start to emerge. But it does take time. Mm. That's a deep one. I think the most reason why most people don't do that is because they don't practice on a daily basis. And that's also what led to my first saying that people just exist. They don't really want to know how to get uncomfortable in a predicament that they know that two years from now I will be benefiting. But it's the now, it's the instant gratification, it's the I did it that makes it even worse in the end. And, and it's great that you brought this out because somebody was telling me recently that they had an issue with getting excited at the result before it happened 
rather than being in the moment and trusting the process before you actually get that gratification. So it's kind of like a dichotomy effect too. No, and to that point as well, a lot of these conversations I have, people are focused on that final destination. And that final destination is, you know, just one of many destinations. Actually, it's the journey that's the most amazing part, but we're so focused on the destinations, we're not looking at the journey. The journey is where we learn from experiences, where we uh, celebrate the successes and understand our setbacks and pitfalls. And one of my favorite quotes, apart from everyone's life is an autobiography makers worth reading is, obstacles are the necessary bricks on our road to success. You can't fear the obstacles. You actually need them to make you stronger and to learn from those experiences. But focus on the dirt on the on the journey, not the final destination. Mm. I love that. And in terms of practical tools someone can use to realize their purpose, that's a that's a thing that most people don't see. Like you mentioned, you know, the students who wrote who they are. They know who they are, but they can't give it a tangible response or a tangible um, feeling that somebody else can read off and say, oh, huh, I know exactly what you mean. Aha, this is the, the person I'm talking to, but there's no, there's no connection. So what kind of practical tools that can someone use to identify their purpose when they are full of confusion? Perfect. And I love the word you use, which is purpose. And the reality, though, Favor, is they're not going to find their purpose till later in life. And I always say passion, because we often say, oh, what's your passion? Find your passion. You will accomplish great things. And I've always said passion cannot be sustained. Passion is an igniter to your purpose. And know that the reality of it is you're not going to find your purpose in the beginning. That's going to take time, but what work, and it relates to what you just said, can you start to do now that's going to support you to find this purpose in the future? And there's a few things I will share. One is what I call the five core elements. In other words, the clarity that I received years ago was based on coming up with this principle of the five core elements. And I've shared this with so many people, and it really makes a lot of sense. The idea is, what are the five things that you are not willing to compromise that makes up your life and career? Not just career, but I include life and career. Five things. So that's where I said servant leadership, story sharing, activator, igniter, champion enabler, and community doer. Think of it this way. If you want to build a house, you need a solid foundation. To build a life, you need a solid foundation. but. We're always just moving and doing, but we haven't taken the time to build. Mm. Now, how do you come up with these words? Well, look at the classes that you've done in university, college, high school, uh, vocational school, trade school. What did you like and what did you not like? But ask yourself an important question. Why? Any jobs you've had, what did you like about it, did not like about it? Why? What do you like to do on your spare time, social time? Why? And always the why piece is important. 
what sometimes people will be is fearful because they're like, what if I pick the wrong words? What if these words are not the right words? I always say you need to establish and start somewhere. And these words are going to change as you change. And mine have changed over the years. And the idea is, so don't feel you're ever stuck with these. But now think of it this way. If you have five things that you are not willing to compromise and an opportunity emerges, now you have something to compare it against. And let's say you do take an opportunity and it hits two out of five. But now you can reflect and say, okay, but what's the third, fourth, and fifth thing that's missing from this? Can I integrate it? Or can I use this as a platform to get me to a much more richer opportunity where I can now embrace this? Mm. And the way that I would also describe this is, you know, don't be fearful. You're going to change these words as you change. But establishing this solid foundation is going to guide you as you move forward. Now, if you struggle with these words, for example, I talk to people and oftentimes I'll, I'll say, what's important to you? And the first word they'll give me is family. Like, okay, let's take the word family. And that's why I say, why? Why is family important to you? And they say, well, it's, you know, the relationship I have with my family and I really feel connected. And I said, okay, wait a minute. So the words connections and relationships. Would that extend beyond your family to the people you interact with? And they're like, yeah, of course. So I said, instead of family, let's replace that with relationships and connections. And they're like, oh, actually, that makes a lot of sense. I also suggest there's a free Myers-Briggs test called the 16 personalities. Do that. And the four letters that you get, plug it into Google. It'll give you strengths and weaknesses. So that gives you another way to say, maybe that's a word I can play with. The personal statement is another way for you to really start hammering down this journey that you're on. And the final thing uh, that I would also suggest is looking at and journaling. In other words, we never really think about a journal. We've gone through jobs and careers, but when have we really sat down and wrote down some of the really positive aspects of it, some of the challenges? Because Granted, when you go to an interview, oftentimes what happens, they're going to ask you questions and we don't necessarily go unprepared. And what we do is we look up to the ceiling because that's where the answers are and you're giving them superficial answers. Whereas if you've really taken the time, now you're providing depth of answers. Mm. So I'll share those with you as ideas. That's amazing. I love that. Even that 16 personality test, I've done it myself. And some of the people that follow up, and if you've done the test, you know these people like Barack Obama, um, Oprah Winfrey. You know, those are the people that, Mich- I think Michelle Obama is part of them. I'm not too sure. But I've seen icons, legends, people who are looked up to, you know, iconic people, noble, honest people that have grown and changed the trajectory of life in itself for people to actually be aspired and inspired to do better as we build a bigger and better generation so i see myself as someone that's a leader and someone that you know puts my first foots forward and i i I love being an early adopter because Mm -hmm. being an early adopter shows me that there is a reason to why i started and there's an end point i'm not sure of but i'm sure of the results because i'm staying steadfast to my truth and that's what most people that's what most people don't see and everyone has a story 
but somebody would ask how can i build and tell stories it sounds like it's easy or hard but it's until you do it like you said <laughs> that's when you really come to the pen and the paper so how does someone build and tell stories with their lifestyle right and that was actually the essence of the first book i wrote as well as the first tedx speech that i did which was uh, personal storytelling okay and the title is discovering the extraordinary in the ordinary in other words we go through life thinking our life is ordinary because we have a, a routine and the things that we do but embedded in that ordinary are these tremendously extraordinary experiences and we have to stop and really think about those extraordinary experiences and and really capture it and what i always say is there's a there's a concept that i came up with that i call carpe so carpe diem is seize the day but carpe is how I build my stories. And what CARPE stands for is curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspectives, and experience. I'll go through each one. So curiosity means, and I'll give you an example. Here you go. So, and I'll share this with your audience and with you, and I hope one day I get a chance to actually give this to you or pop it in the mail to you. But, so, single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, right, Favor? Yeah. It's ordinary. Do you know what? I am going to make this extraordinary right before your eyes. And I'll share how that happens with the Carpe Principle. Okay. So years ago, I started thinking about this storytelling and curiosity. So curiosity stopped me. And I looked at this saying, wait a minute, it's more than a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. But something had to stop me. So that's curiosity. Going through the uh, life curious. I appreciated this for more than what it is. It's more than a piece of a jigsaw puzzle, it's something else, but I've got to think about this. So curiosity, appreciation, and reflection is putting purpose and meaning to something, thinking about it much more deeper. Perspectives means I'll share what it is, and for you it may be something totally different because your perspectives may be different than mine. We all have perspectives. And experience if we don't capture our story, our story dies an untimely death, and it was it, it's never going to be told. And in my first book, what I wrote is, what's the last story you read? What's the last story you told? What's the last story you lived? And that last one is the most important part, because we are all living stories. So I'll share with you how I can transform something ordinary into extraordinary. Because this is what many people feel like. They feel like a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. They don't know where they fit in. They don't know how it is, but they're, they're just there. They're a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And I transform this, and it's so interesting when I describe it, I actually physically see the transformation on their face. Because I say, instead of focusing on this puzzle piece, I have the satchel where I hold puzzle pieces. Favor, if I give you a piece of my jigsaw puzzle, do you realize my puzzle will be permanently incomplete without you? Do you realize how important you are to my puzzle, to my life? And I want to remind people how important they are just by using a simple analogy of a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. I've given over 5,000 pieces to date, and I get people contacting me saying, Sam, it's taped to my mirror, and it reminds me every morning someone said I matter. Mm. it's in their wallets and I'll see them at an event and they pull it out 
It's in, they travel with it around the world. Wow. And there's people who come looking for me frantically saying, Sam, I can't find your jigsaw puzzle piece. I need another piece because I have to be connected. But really storytelling is also about that transformation of the ordinary to that extraordinary. And that's just one simple example. That puzzle example definitely wins the day because <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely shows how you may think in a sea of jigsaws and puzzles and jigsaw puzzles, you would see that they look like they are all inexistent. But when they're all put together, now your picture has become... It's become a visual pyramid. It's become a visual thing to see. Now you can tell the art. Now you can tell the story. Before, you could tell a story, but the story was different with the same context. (laughs) Oh, totally. Totally. But uh, this is also where, um, you know, it's a simple piece that's ordinary and you've just transformed it and, and how much of an impact that actually has on people yeah and these things are all around us the other analogy which i share with people about life and career is oftentimes people are trying to solve their life puzzle they want to know what is the end result and i always tell them look if i came and dropped a five thousand piece jigsaw puzzle on your table but i left with the cover what are you building? You don't know because I've taken the cover away. That's your completed life. Mm. The puzzle is your life. And what so many people want to do is they want to take 5,000 pieces and they want to throw it way up in the air. And when it lands, they hope it bounces into place and that all of their pieces will just connect magically. But as we know, puzzles don't work like that. You're going to have to build it piece by piece, section by section. Well, let's say you start building your life puzzle and you suddenly turn a piece over and you find a piece of a chimney door in a window. You're like, I think there's a house here. Mm. So you start pulling pieces of a house and start building the house. Halfway through building the house, the house isn't finished, but you suddenly turn a piece over and it's part of a porthole. You're like, wait, I think this is part of a ship. Now you start seeing parts of a ship and you start pulling pieces of a ship, but the house is not finished. And halfway through building the ship, you suddenly find a piece of a car. The house isn't done, the ship's not done, now you're building a car. Our life is in sections and segments, but we might not see an assemblance of order. Instead of trying to solve your life puzzle, what I say is, look for those single pieces. And what I mean by the single piece are the champions and enablers, the people who are there to support you. The experiences and stories that you gather. Because adding it to this, it's like when you're building a puzzle and you find that one piece that actually connects the house and the ship together, that makes more sense. Yeah. So instead of trying to solve your life puzzle, seek out those champions, enablers, and those experiences because that is going to help to make sense of the bigger picture. Mm. I love that story. I love the buildup. It shows that everybody has a story to tell. But it's how you tell your story that counts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love that. Some people think about their cultural identity as well. And you may ask, how can I explain this to anyone who I am? Because that's the first thing that we started by talking about. And we know that people have different cultural differences. 
and that's what makes us unique and makes us you know included into society but at the same time people still feel like they're excluded because they look like the odd one out <laughs> so <laughs> so how do they how do they stay connected and still relevant to the communication strategy that they're trying to build Right. No, an interesting point that you bring up because the second book I wrote was about my search for my ancestral roots. Okay. And in the process was also about finding my own identity because I was born in England, raised in Canada. My parents come from Fiji Islands and my grandfathers both came from India. Now, I look Indian, so people come to me and they say, uh, what part of India are you from? And I'm like, well, I was born in England, raised in Canada. They're like, no, no, no. Uh, your parents, what part of India are they from? And I said, well, my parents are from Fiji. And they're like, are you Indian? And I'm like, well, my grandfather's come from India. And some people are like, Sam, you're not Indian, you're Canadian. And there's this need of segmenting ourselves as an identity piece. And it's interesting because I've even had people say, you know, Sam, where do you come from? And I said, well, I was born in England, raised in Canada. No, no, no. Where do you really come from? Mm. Well, born in England, raised in Canada. And they're like, no, no, no. And it's it's one of those things of how do you describe it? And the way that I describe it, Favor, is because I, I wrote it in, in, in my book about uh, personal identity is I always saw myself as a tali. And in Indian dish, a tali is a, is a platter and it's got segmented dishes. So I was British, Canadian, Indian, and Fijian. And when I'm with my friends, I'm Canadian. When I'm, you know, at a social function, I'm Indian. And, you know, it just varied. But by going to India and searching my ancestral roots, I just suddenly realized I'm not a tali. I'm actually a rice dish, which is kichari. And kichari is this rice dish which is a blend of flavors and vegetables and spices mm. so instead of trying to identify as this 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 or this i describe myself as kitchen which is the equivalent let's say of making an omelet where you crack eggs and you throw in whatever you like but at the end it's a beautiful meal yeah so i think from an audience perspective think of yourself as kitchen and say you know what, there are many components that I'm made up of. And you know what, I am going to embrace them all. And don't segment. Exactly. I feel like segmenting is the first thing that takes you away from your true identity, which is your puzzle piece. Yeah, totally. I agree. I definitely agree. And somebody who would like to know... <laughs> this is a very good question. What do you tell someone who wants to be a leader? And some people think, I think I was in one of these clubhouse rooms and they were saying, are you born a leader or are you raised a leader? And I'm like, I, I really want to know the answer to that question from people who have sure. gone through this experience too. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing is uh, I teach leadership. Okay. My master's is in leadership. And what I've always said is a different spin and a perspective on this. Leadership is not a place or position to be. Leadership is a lifestyle. And here's the, the interesting part. You don't even determine if you're the leader. People around you determine if you are worthy of that title. Mm. So there are people who are going to look at me and they may deem me as a leader. But granted, there are other people who will not see me as a leader. So... I always tell people, don't strive to this thing called leadership because 
you don't hold the key on whether you're a leader or not because leadership is not a position. You can have somebody who's a CEO and be a terrible person and a leader. And then you can also have someone who's working, grinding it out as an entrepreneur, doing their work, who people are like, oh my gosh, that person is doing amazing things. And they see that person as a leader. Yeah. So that's the way I would describe it is let the people around you determine if you are worthy of that title and do what is important to you. And understand that there will be people who don't support and agree. Uh, so even, for example, when I speak, when I teach, even when I write, yeah, there's people who will see me as a leader, but there's also people who will be like, oh my gosh, this is the worst class I've ever taken. Mm. It just, we don't resonate. And I, I can't take it personally. Yeah. It's just, we just don't connect. And I have to accept that, but I will always try to be the best that I can be. And that's why... Servant leadership favor is one of my five core elements. And servant leadership is, I just roll up my sleeve. There is a problem. I am not going to dwell on the problem. I am here to make a solution. And whoever's interested in helping me, let's solve this problem. Mm, I love that. I love that. It now makes it more intentional and more practical when you're seeing the results based on how you actually perceive yourself first. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally i definitely agree and speaking of perceiving and and culture like we talked about i'm wondering how your journey to india was when you went there as a foreigner going to a land that should not be foreign so how did that play out for you especially when you're meeting with people and communicating with them right off the conversation point i don't care what anyone tells you, you will never be prepared for India. It's an amazing experience. And it, it's interesting because I always say that, you know, it, you could be a tourist or a traveler. And there is definitely a distinction between the two. If you are a tourist, you only want to see, but not experience. And you may be really disappointed because you may see things that are going to be gut-wrenching, difficult. But as a traveler, you want to experience, you want to talk to people, you want to learn about people, you want to learn about places. When I went to India, again, it, to that point, I was a foreigner going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to me because being Indian, it's like I've got the understanding and grasp of my cultural upbringing, but is it the same? And by going to India, it really opened my eyes. And I mean, I've traveled to different places around the world, always with an open mind and wanting to meet people, learn about their, their culture and background, make me more informed. And I went to India and like I said, it was, there were times where there were difficulties, but I never saw them as, you know, challenges that are going to make it that I don't like this place. I have to appreciate and I have to embrace it as this is what life is. When I saw poverty for the very first time, it was very difficult to see it because as a community activator, man, I want to fix things, but this is on such a large scale that you can't fix it. I just want to share with you a quote, if I may. Yeah. And this is just in the very beginning of my book. And it's a beautiful quote that just really captures the essence of my trip to India. Travel isn't always pretty, 
It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts, it even breaks your heart. But that's okay. The journey changes you. It should change you. It leaves marks on your memory, on your consciousness, on your heart, and on your body. You take something with you. Hopefully, you leave something good behind. And that was by Anthony Bourdain. And it just really captured the essence of my travels to India. And I went there with an open mind to these experiences. And, you know, taking this faded photograph to go find my ancestral roots, it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. We didn't even know where the haystack was. Mm. But through some cosmic intervention, uh, was able to accomplish some great things on that journey. That's amazing. I was, I'm glad that you were able to go and experience something, come back and know that you went there with good intentions. And of course, you know, leaving something behind, which they're remembering you for now. Yeah. I definitely love that. And for anyone who's interested in being a writer, cause you're an author clearly and, yeah. and, and a very avid reader, I would, I would definitely want to ask for anybody who is interested in being a writer what are some practical tools that you can share? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when I was writing my first book and I was trying to figure out what the audience wanted, it was really difficult to write. But as soon as I started writing for myself, the words just flowed. And it's also the fact that there is fear in us because we're worried about what people are going to think when we write our book or when we when we share and in the first book i wrote which is on storytelling there's a piece that i wrote that said there is fear in me in writing this book because of what people may think but the bigger fear is what if i don't do this mm. what i would say is you have stories whether it's to be published or not published start writing it down and really all it is is just, you know, getting it on paper, on a document is going to be so valuable and you want to capture it. Now, there is also what I say, three different methods to get out there. So first, you know, you obviously need a really great editor because that person really dusts off and tidies up. They actually make you sound good. Uh, so for me, there's three ways you could take this self-publishing, traditional publishing, and what we call a hybrid model. Mm. Self-publishing is you doing all the heavy lifting, all the work is created. And my first book, I self-published. The second book, I tried to do the traditional publishing and I got, I applied to 50 different agents, which is where, you know, you get an agent, they're going to be there to uh, push your book out there for you and I just found that it was really difficult to get acknowledged and recognized. And then there's a third model, which I call hybrid, which is you have an organization that's there to work with you to create the content and just really build something beautiful and then work with you to get it out, but still be with you, but it's your work. The way I could best describe this is traditional publishing is you're going to build a car, actually, they build it, they're going to drive the car, you're in the back seat, but you have no idea where you're going to go. 
okay? mm. because they're doing a lot of the work it's for them too like they want sales so they're concerned with well this may not be the best story let's modify it this way let's change this so they're going to build the car with you but really their car and you're in the back seat self-publishing you're going to build a car by yourself with ikea instructions and you'll drive it but you're not sure which direction to go mm. the hybrid model is so i used a company called page two and oh my gosh they it's probably the best customer service i ever received and they worked with me to build a car i'm driving the car and they're in the front seat saying here's where i think we should go let's go in that direction and they're guiding me along mm. and supporting me and even though my contract with them was over and the book is out but they're still with me and so there's self-publishing hybrid and uh, traditional publishing self-publishing i mean literally there's agencies and organizations from zero to ten thousand dollars that'll create your book do your research traditional publishing be prepared you're going to be rejected many times probably um, see how that goes and the hybrid model bit more on the expensive side but really what you pay for is what you get mm. and if it's an important book the other thing i will share with you never go into writing a book to think you're going to make money from it that's it's a, a calling card it's another piece of you but if you go in with the intention it's not going to work and mm. i wrote a blog post i was at a writing conference in toronto and the blog the blog post was called at the fair not fair and what i mean by that is i went to the writers conference to meet people to share my stories and just have a really great time for me it was going to a fair like as in enjoy myself the person next to me was miserable. They just sat there on their phone and just said, look, if I don't sell 10 copies today, um, I'm not going to break even and this and that. This isn't even a great experience. So they looked at it as fair, F-A-R-E, meaning money. You never know. And out of that conference, I built a really good relationship with three individuals who are still on my journey with me. So at the fair, not fair go in with the FAIR, enjoy the experience of getting out there and know that writing is the hard part. And that's only the first part of the journey. The second part, getting it out there and it's literally pushing the boulder up a hill is how do you gain the interest of people so that they want to buy your book? Right. So it's a, it's a dual purpose. Thank you for saying that in terms of um, communication too. Um, what are the practical tools that they can use to be a better communicator? Do they need a coach? Do they need to stand in front of a mirror? Do they need a mentor? What is the, the actionable step that they can make to create this impression? Yeah, uh, part of it is start working on that personal brand well before you even start launching a book. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I talk to, when I talk to authors, their, their, their craft is writing. And they're not out there pushing it out, but they want, you know, to get uh, some huge endorsements from large figures and people. Uh, you know, in Canada, Margaret Atwood is very famous as a writer or, you know, any number of these are uh, writers. And it doesn't work that way. You actually, well before you even start writing that book, 
start going on Twitter and finding people that you respect and admire and start following them. Start making comments to their posts or even on Instagram. And next thing you know, people will eventually, if it's a thoughtful comment, maybe start saying something back. And out of this, for example, uh, Beth, Beth Torbert, uh, better known as Biff Nate, good, as, uh, is a performer and she's a, a, a punk rock star. But again, through all of this interactions, I just sent a note to her because she commented about her own memoir. And I said, oh, I just wrote my own memoir and I can, I can appreciate where you laughed and cried and all that. That was my book. And she replied back. And next thing you know, she's literally become like part of my family mm. over the last year because we've interacted and engaged with each other. I was at an event and uh, Biff just happened to be in Vancouver. And I'm at an event and, you know, uh, I was looking at my cell phone and someone says, oh, like, uh, how's, how's it going? And I said, well, you know, I may have to leave early. And they said, oh, what have you got planned for tonight? I said, well, I'm just waiting for a text from Biff. Uh, she's in town and we might get together for dinner or late uh, night drink or tomorrow I'm going to see her. And they're like, wait, Biff's going to text you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just waiting for a text from her. They're like, how does Biff have your phone number? I said, well, no, no, we're really good friends now. And they were like, but how did that happen? And I explained that it's a lot of this effort and uh, persistence that you need to do. Yeah. But do it. And the key word, I think, is do it authentically. Not because I want something out of her. Not something because I want out of other people. But the more authentic you are, the better these relationships become. Exactly. And I, and I really love what you said because... Most people go with the intention of what can you do for me instead of what can I do for you. Right. And actually, funny enough, just even yesterday I was talking to somebody and uh, we haven't talked in a couple of years. She recently graduated. And a comment that I always make with people is, what can I do for you? Yeah. And it stops them because they're like, oh, um, uh, well, can I get back to you? And I was like, of course. But my thing is, what can I do for you? And it's interesting because, again, I do about three to eight of these conversations per week. It's been about 5,000 over the last 20 plus years. And it's interesting because people say, look, aren't, do you ever get tired of these conversations? And I said, actually, or and worried about these conversations. I said, I worry about the day people don't want to talk to me. Mm. And I said, there's a way that we can look at this. And I use this analogy of, a bucket and a candle because oftentimes people feel like a bucket in other words and especially think of the people i'm speaking with and i'm giving myself to them yeah if i'm a large bucket and there's a room full of empty buckets and everybody i interact with i'm pouring my contents into their buckets my bucket is depleting but here's the thing it was a mind shift when i started saying to myself I'm not a bucket. Instead, I'm a candle. I'm a lit candle with a room full of unlit candles. And when I meet someone for the first time, our wicks will touch and a giant flame emerges because now we get engaged in a wonderful conversation. But when we pull away, my flame is no less depleted. And now you've lit another person and you light up. I'd rather light up a room and see my life as a candle, not as a bucket. And once I did that mind shift, it's never exhausting. Exactly. It's all in perception and mindset, honestly. 
because the way you see something is the way you react to it so it really depends on your perception to know how to react in a certain way that's acceptable yeah i love that wow this are this are great tips sam thank you so much i would definitely want people to find out from you how they can get in contact with you where they can get your content your books what is their next step to reach out to you yeah i mean usually the, my website is the best place because that's where my uh, i've got about 170 blog posts about life experiences and personal branding and all of that stuff and that's all for free uh, you can also find both my books there um, my speaking engagements uh, all of the information is on my website and it's uh, just www.sam-theora so just my name.com and everything is there awesome wow thank you so much but, Sam. They, can also, no, but they can also find me on instagram linkedin twitter so just yeah. search me out yeah definitely and i love that you're keeping it consistent as well mm-hmm. thank you man. you're welcome thank you so much for being in the playroom i really appreciate your time oh man i appreciate just being able to share this is what i uh really appreciate and enjoy it's become my purpose the more that i have the more i need to give exactly wow till next time definitely we're gonna have you on the show again for sure <laughs> lots lots of stories exactly thank you so much thanks